and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 252. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing the fifth Star Trek feature film, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Here we go. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Release date, June 9th, 1989. Directed by William Shatner. Produced by Harv Bennett. Screenplay by David Lowry. Story by William Shatner, Harv Bennett, and David Lowry. Cast includes William Shatner as James T. Kirk. Leonard Nimoy as Spock. DeForest Kelly as Leonard McCoy. James Dewan as Montgomery Scott. George Takei as Hikaru Sulu. Walter Koenig as Pavel Chekhov. Michelle Nichols as Uhura. And Lawrence Luckenbill as Cybok. <laughs> The crew of the newly commissioned USS Enterprise are enjoying shore leave after the starship's shakedown cruise. At Yosemite National Park, Captain James T. Kirk is camping with First Officer Spock and Dr. Leonard McCoy. Their leave is interrupted when the Enterprise is ordered by Starfleet Command to rescue a human, Klingon, and Romulan diplomats taken hostage on Nebulus III, a planet set aside as a neutral location to advance dialogue between the Federation Klingon Empire and Romulan Star Empire. On Nimulus 3, the Enterprise, the Enterprise crew discovers that the renegade Vulcan Cybok, Spock's half-brother, is behind the hostage crisis. Cybok reveals that the hostage situ- situation was a ruse to lure a starship which he intends to use to reach the mythical planet Shakari, the place where creation began and the planet lies behind a seemingly impenetrable barrier near the center of the galaxy. I was thinking of Cybok. I've lost a brother. Yes. I lost a brother once. I was lucky I got him back. I thought you said men like us don't have families. I was wrong. Mr. Adam Caesar, I have a memory of knocking this movie and many years ago, and you defended it by saying the thing you liked about it, the thing that made it worthwhile for you was all the stuff we get with just Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Now, that was a long time ago, so I'm interested here if your thoughts have changed, and let's do that by having you start off our discussion. Yeah, I get, I get to kick off Star Trek V. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. One of our, our long blockbuster talks on a Sunday morning when we both opened. <laughs> We used to open on, I think we used to open on Sunday morning. Anyway. Yeah. Star Trek V. As everybody knows, there's a Star Trek V. Star Trek V is probably considered the least popular or favorite movie of, of all the Trek movies. And for good reason. Um, it's kind of hokey. Um, it looks not great. The um, action sequences are, are just, um, they're just not good. Um, there's not really a clear protagonist in the film. The ending is hokey, and um, it almost uh, you know rewatching it the, around this this time around, it almost felt like a bad episode of the original series. You know where you had these hokey episodes where you're just like, mm, okay. But that being all said, um, Brian, yes, I still feel that um, I still enjoyed the scenes that um, that we that we discussed many years ago back in blockbuster i still enjoy the opening scenes that came other than you know kirk falling and the you know the the ski boats the ski boots that um, um leonard nimoy was wearing to fly around and that other than that 
little sequence there. I do enjoy the opening scene, them around the campfire. Kirk, you know, talking about like, um, you know, I knew I would die alone. You know, those are poignant things. And they're, it's an atmosphere that we get to see these characters out of. They're not in uniform. They're kind of relaxed. They're on vacation. And they're kind of more candid with each other. So, uh, yeah, I, I do enjoy those those scenes um, throughout the film. You know, there's there's several more. Um, I'll, I mean, I'll go towards the end of the film, you know, when they're, when they're on the enterprise and they're in that, um, you know, kind of that 10 forward type location and Cybot comes in there and he's, you know, doing the, I don't know. I don't know how he's doing this. I had this in my notes cause I, I guess I never realized this. So he's doing these past life experiences for McCoy and Spock. So, which are really cool, but at the same time, how is this conceptually happening? How is our, how are all these people seeing this? How are they? How is this happening? So, even though I like the scene and I know what happens in them, I'm like, couldn't they gotten to this in a more concrete uh, manner? And you know, and then it ends with them around the campfire and that kind of thing. So, a lot of this movie, I think, is about the three of them. And it's not to say that the other characters didn't have a role in this movie. You know, this might be the closest thing to a a, a comedy of, from all the Star Trek movies. Though it is highly debatable whether it's actually funny, but those those are kind of the things that I I kind of I kind of felt about rewatching because this is the first time I have watched the movie in a long time. I'll straight through. I I found the, the Cybok character interesting. I just don't feel like they did much with him. You know, we didn't. I you know Spock has a brother. What's what's this about? What was their relationship about? And I don't feel like they kind of touched on that or went in depth on that as much as they could have. So those were kind of my first initial thoughts. Well, you know, it, it, it right out of the gate, it's got problems. I, I realized watching it this time, uh, right at the beginning, Kirk, as we learned this week from Donald Trump, Kirk mispronounces uh, Yosemite. <laughs> as we know now, it's pronounced Yosemite. <laughs> so immediately, uh, there's problems with the writing and the mm-hmm, directing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve, what are some of your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, I, it definitely lives up to its notion of being the worst of the films. I, I, uh, you know, it's 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 like a whole lot of little things, right? It's, um, I mean, I get what you're saying about it being Adam about it being like feeling like a bad original series episode in some respects, but um, I think I think what it does is that there there are, there are a handful of like notions I like. It's just even the few notions that are good weren't executed well, you know, it's, it's totally agree. Totally it, it's, agree. it's like, it's like, it's, it's cool to get backstory on characters that we don't know. That's interesting, but not at the expense of, I mean, you know, when you, when you have, when you introduce something that we've never known about, these characters that we've been with for so long, there better be a good reason for it. And, and that, that just, that just wasn't the case here. Right. I mean, you know, this, this guy is a half brother Spock, you know, to, would it have to be that way? I guess they make that. So it, you, if you it buy was it. a half sister, that would have made it completely. Okay. I assume. <laughs> right, right. Or especially what if she was human? <laughs> yeah. That would change the whole thing. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like, I, I guess that's one of those things where they're trying to do something to sell the fact that he's going to do something that doesn't make him seem as uh loyal to uh loyal to kirk in that one scene but that's not enough an excuse to to do that and then and the backstory on mccoy again interesting but you know it it feels like such a heavy thing for such a such a bad movie i mean you know it's like this that's interesting history didn't know anything about that but you know i'm i'm focused on all this nonsense and crap that's going on around it you know and it's just that there it's like a whole lot of little segments that are either why do they do this or 
what's the point or they don't lend themselves to the you know to the to whatever they're trying to the point of it what they're trying to say and you know i, I see i see the appeal of some of the it, well, any, anything with kirk spock and mccoy you know if you see them hanging out and yeah, that you know that's cool because we love these characters and them being friends and all that but the, the problem is is that even though that's that's fun and stuff it gets it, it crosses over getting goofy and I, at some point during i realized how long it's taken up it's like this movie's like, a, like an hour and 45 minutes and, it, and that segment or at least it felt like why did we need so much time around a campfire you know i mean you uh, probably should focus on doing things that propel this thing forward and have some reason for being and, and there's all sorts of things that just don't do that they the early stuff in the movie with with uh where we, we see cyborg for the first time and all that stuff going on that plan is kind of like who cares we don't know any of these people and yet this drags on forever and um i, I don't know it's just it's just too much it's too much stuff that that you just kind of don't get you don't have a you don't feel anything for and and it doesn't really ring true the way the characters are their, their voices and stuff too and and so there's just there's just a whole lot of little problems you know i don't think it relates to one big thing that just blows the thing away i think it's just a, it's just like almost everything that one could mess up is messed up yeah i had the same th- thoughts about like that campfire scene holy god it's so long i mean the, the entire movie there are so many moments that you could cut them and or at least, at least cut them down different scenes and stuff it, it, it would the only movie would only get better not much better but it cut would the be row, cut, they could have cut the row row your boat that was annoying I'll, I'll give give you guys that for sure and talking about there's just there's almost too much of the three of them like if the scene goes on too long then it starts to, they, I don't know it's like it starts to feel self-indulgent and then you start to lose the characters for me I know this is going to sound this is petty, but like the the bit with the Morse code when the three of them are st- standing around there, it, that's like four years long. Them deciphering the message to stand back, and it's it looks it comes off as kind of stupid. I don't, I don't know. It's like, and they don't even stand back; it blows before yeah, they even yeah, have a chance yeah. to stand back. But it was one of those things. That like the whole the whole movie, it, it feels like the humor is is very forced because hey, Star Trek Four. Only wanted to make over a hundred million dollars, so successful. We want lots and lots of humor in this movie. But, you know, Scotty, I know the ship like the back of my hand, bonking his head. I, I, I'm not sure I ever thought. I'm not sure I ever liked that. Maybe I, some of it I, I know Shatner and and Jimmy Dewan didn't get along very well, and I just almost like I just I see him telling Lowry, no, no, I want I wanted to put in the script that he like bangs his head and knocks himself out because he's so stupid. I, I don't know. It's just like oh. I don't know. I, 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 there's so many things to, to dislike about this movie. Even the special effects. They're so crappy. <laughs> they're so awful. I think these are the, the worst special effects of any Star Trek feature. No doubt about it. The turbo shaft scene is painful to watch. Which? Though, you know, when, you know, when they're climbing up the turbo shaft after they've broken out the, you know, and then Spock comes, you know, the ski boots didn't work for me in the opening scene and they were even worse. How does he come from above them? Yeah, I had the same, I had the same thing. And I'm like, half the time, um, Shatner's not even hanging on to Nimoy. <laughs> yeah. like, it was just, it was, it's painful to watch. You know, just, I'll just leave it at that. Or just the, like the first time we see the bird of prey and it's firing at that that ancient probe whatever and it looks like a 1930s movie stop motion like it looked like king kong which was amazing in the 30s but in 1989 oh 
So, I mean, famously, they always felt, you know, the previous movies, the uh, ILM had done the effects and they kept feeling like ILM charged too much. So they went with some some new guys that did a terrible job. But Kirk falling on, from the side of the mountain, like the first effect shot in the movie, it looks so terrible. It looks like he's standing there on back projection and it's a and it's a Alfred Hitchcock, you know, North by Northwest, which was fine in 1960 or whatever but <laughs> here it's just like we've seen good star trek movies effects work it's terrible that's why i was telling steve like you know that's why it kind of reminds me of a bad um original episode because the effects are so awful i mean it's just it's not even brian i, I do have one more complaint about it because um i get um i get a little bit annoyed when star trek veers off scientifically you know there are times when it works and times when it doesn't work but in 1989, we knew that there wasn't a great barrier that um, surrounded the middle of our galaxy, and we knew there's, we knew we, theoretically there was a black hole down there. So I don't know. Sometimes that just annoys me when they just make crap up. It never, even in 1989, it never really made sense to me. Yeah, you're, you're telling me there's this thing that everybody can see and get to, yet at no point ever did anybody just try sending a ship into it or a probe into it to bring it back. I understand the readings say it's going to get destroyed, but in all that time, nobody actually tried to do anything. Yeah, it was silly. And that's kind of like the notion too that you read that there's a lot of recycled stuff on top of it, where it feels like there's a lot of things from a lot of original series episodes, like back in uh, the the uh, you know where no man has gone before the second pilot, there they don't call it the Great Barrier, they call it the something else, but it's on the outside of the galaxy or some such thing. But anyway, the point is it's on the outside of the galaxy, and you can't you can't break it, and if you do, crazy things happen. We also have episodes where you think you're going to meet god or you think you're going to meet a god or you think uh some kind of higher power or i can't believe we're here and this is the creator and it turns out to be somebody you know some huckster or whatever i mean the stuff it, there's that that's the other problem is it just feels like i've seen this before on top of yeah. Adele, and, and i'm sure i've seen it better you know in, a, in something from 30 years ago you know and these things that we're saying that, that i'm saying bother me they're okay in in the 1960s tv show I, i'm not going to hold the show against some of that stuff right. but i sure as hell will a, $30 million feature in 1989, which is, you know, it was the biggest budgeted Star Trek movie up to that point. Maybe the motion picture technically cost more, but because it went way over budget because they added in phase two and all that stuff. But Star Trek V was by far, I mean, it had like three times the budget of Star Trek II. And it doesn't look like it. Yeah, I mean, rewatching it this time, I, I, I get maybe this might be from Discovery. You kind of hinted that a second ago, um, Brian. I, I kind of wish they just didn't go off on this god tangent and all that. I would have preferred more that we're focusing in on you know Spock's half brother. Maybe you know he creates a rebellion on a planet, and they just deal with that there and that relationship and how his brother got to that point would have been a far more interesting movie to me than what, you know, Steve was mentioning, just rehashing old plot points from the sixties, you know, meeting some random God and, you know, having to cross some barrier. I think, um, you know, a, a character analysis of Spock and his brother and that relationship and how it split would have been a far more interesting movie. There's been a lot written over the years about little things that maybe could have made the movie so much better. And I'm just, I have a hard time imagining anything really making a big difference. One of those things, they seriously pursued Sean Connery for the role of Cybok. And I don't know how interested he ever was, but he ended up passing on it. They named Shakari kind of after Sean Connery, but 
you know, some people have said, uh, what's his name? Luck and Bill, you know, who was not a, not a movie actor. He was like a stage guy that I think, I think Shatner saw him like on a, uh, I don't know, PBS or something like that, where they were just showing a play that he was in. <laughs> and Shatner, It was something like that. Right. And so Shatner like pulls him from obscurity in that way. And, and I think he's fine, but he definitely, he doesn't have that kind of the star quality uh, that somebody like a Sean Connery would have had. Do, do you think that could have made a big difference if it was somebody like, you know, Sean Connery? Well, I, I think we had this discussion with Kirstie Alley, um, the same kind of same discussion. Yeah. Christy left. Maybe she wasn't the actress that the, the next actress played Robin um, Curtis, Robin Curtis. But um, you know, to your point, Brian, you know, um, Christy had um, screen presence. She, 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 that was, you know, some people have that and that's why they go on to be, you know, successful actors and movie stars, that kind of thing. And she had that screen presence. And I think that might be kind of the same point that you're making here. Yeah. He was the guy who played Cyborg. He, he did, you know, I can't say good or bad. I mean, he was fine and what he was given, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if it would have been better with Sean Connery. It just would have might have given it, it would just given it more promotion. I don't think it would have made the movie any better. Yeah, I think this is one of these things where, yeah, we could talk about it like a, I'm sure literally hundreds of things that could make it a little better, and then you end up with a different movie. Is basically what it comes down to. It's like this actor, this director, this screenplay, this plot point, this uh, whatever, just fill in the blank. And that's kind of the problem. Is that it's not one thing. Like, yeah, maybe so a different actor, but that's certainly not a key a key problem with the thing or something. In my opinion, didn't Connery? Didn't he did. Last I think he made the right choice. Yeah, last year, 1989, the summer of '89 was a huge summer for movies. I mean, one of the biggest ever. Batman. And on, Batman. on that list, most of them are actually really good movies, except Star Trek V. <laughs> and Star Trek V got such a poor reception uh, and didn't do very well. I didn't even. I don't. Mind, I don't even know if it made half as much money as Star Trek IV. That there isn't going to be another summer Star Trek movie for two decades i think the next time they released a star trek movie in the summer was jj's first movie but yeah it was a big summer and it did include uh indiana jones and the last crusade for sean connery you know there was originally supposed to be this big effect sequence at the end where kirk gets attacked attacked by these rock monsters and they shot some of it and it was it looks so awful and, and the amount of money they spent on it, by the way, is is they took away from other special effects so they could do it. And it looks so bad that they cut it out of the movie. They didn't cut it out to make, you know, pacing better or something. They, they cut it because it looked terrible. It looked like a guy in a suit wrestling with Shatner. It's, it's, it, oh, terrible. Awful. Oh, it's so bad. And you, if you haven't seen it before, I'm sure somebody's put it on YouTube or something. The footage is out there. Some of, it, some of it's out there. So, Brett, I had a question for you. Um so I um, I didn't do any. Was there any any publication why Cybok wasn't included in Discovery or why he was ignored? Is there was there anything written about that or was it just completely glossed over? Um, I've never seen anything official about that. The real reason is probably just because nobody likes this movie. Gotcha. <laughs> it is an interesting character, you know. You got a half brother. You know, um, Sarek was married to a, a princess, had a kid. She died. And then you have this rebellious brother who goes against all of um, Vulcan society. So I mean, it's kind of it's an interesting backstory. I wouldn't mind seeing them, yeah. seeing that played out in a much better scenario. But I, I did I did find that concept and that storyline interesting. 
like I said, that might have been heightened just because of Discovery. Um, you know, I, I think I feel like Shatner directed this movie because he could, but not necessarily because he wanted to, or be, not because he had the, like he he wanted to direct it, so he came up with a story or something. You know, Enterprise visits God or whatever. But it it feels a lot like it's just Bill Shatner. And hey, I love Bill Shatner as much as the next guy, and I 100% recognize. Uh, his incredible portrayal of the character of James T. Kirk is a massive, massive portion about why we are still talking about Star Trek today. Okay. But this movie is not good, and it is the one that he directed, and he came up with a story for it. But it, it frequently feels like it's just, it's, just, it's just stuff that Bill Shatner wants to do, like Kirk climbing a mountain or uh, Kirk riding a horse. These are these are Bill Shatner things. These are not necessarily <laughs> James Kirk things. You know what I mean? I, I think we can safely say there's a reason why Shatner's directing career didn't um, continue, like say Frank's or, or Nimoy um, beyond um, Star Trek. Other, another thing that this show is, this movie is going to end is Harv Bennett's relationship. You know, he's been a, a producer Star Trek's two, three, four, and five. He almost didn't come onto this one, but Shatner convinced him to do so. He has a little cameo. You know, he plays the um, the admiral that calls Kirk. I need Jim Kirk. Oh, please. That's one of those moments where I'm like, I, I imagine <laughs> Lowry putting it in the script to to um, appease uh, Shatner's ego. But after this, Harp Bennett's going to be out. I think he's still trying to get the. Starfleet Academy years movie made and because Paramount kept promising him they were going to do that but he's not going to be a part of Star Trek 6 he's, he's going to give up so this is kind of his last time uh, Herman, Zimmer, Herman Zimmerman production designer I think this is his first Star Trek feature and maybe that I don't, maybe you know of course he's going to be a big part of Star Trek DS9 and Enterprise and all that stuff but I, I think this was his first Trek feature Oh, I always have to take a minute to say, Paramount, please give us some good transfers. Please. This movie, it looks so... It, okay, I admit, it's going to look bad even if it looks its best. But why make it worse? <laughs> <laughs> That's just like beating a dead horse, you know, kicking somebody while they're down. Don't do that. Please. It will not cost very much money. Just take the negative and do a nice high-quality transfer. Oh, they ever release this on 4K Blue after a remaster or whatever the back of it's something like the least bad it's ever you know <laughs> <laughs> when Shatner is falling uh, in front of the mountain you can and this is in a crappy you know transfer it's so clear that big harness he's got on the back of his of, you know, it's like ugh <laughs> yeah. um, uh, oh, uh, Steve, did your spouse watch this with you? Did you have yeah, a report mm -hmm. for us? Right. All right, let's hear it. I mean, I think I think kind of, uh, I think uh, uh, everything kind of gravitates toward the mean with these, you know? I, I don't know if it's uh, in terms of, I guess what I'm saying is she thought it wasn't good, but she, I don't think she thought it is not as good as we're talking about, you know what I mean? So, um, you watch it like 50 times and then see what she thinks. Right, right. I think, I, I think it's uh, that's a matter of how much one has seen and, and critiqued and talked about, right? But, uh, yeah, she thought there was plenty of silly stuff, you know, and then just either a little hokey or not so interesting or fill in the blank, all the little problems one can have with something. So, it's not just a matter of a a critically problematic film, but something that has a lot of problems just from an entertainment standpoint as well, I think. Well, I want to talk, try and talk about a few things that I do like. 
Uh, Spock, Nimoy, he probably couldn't do a bad job if he was trying, but I think he does do a really good job. Again, we talked about how in Star Trek Four, he was, you know, he was this almost fresh character in a way because he was learning to be himself again. And I feel like in Star Trek Five, he is farther, a lot farther along than Star Trek Four, but he's still not who he was in Star Trek Two. He does once again. He does a great job of, you know, he. I feel like he's the one guy that probably spent a lot of time and takes planning for how his character should be, and I bet he spent more time in preparation than anybody else as far as performance because that's just who he was, and it shows for a reason. Well, if you look, you look back. So let's go back to the motion picture and Spock in the motion picture. He's very. Very, very Vulcan. I mean, like you could almost say 100% Vulcan. Yeah, because he was seconds away from yeah. uh, Colin R. So I'm just saying, you know, and then you come to Star Trek V where, you know, he's died and be reincarnated and, you know, coming to terms with who he is again. And um, it's almost like this is, the, you know, there's Spock before Khan and then there's Spock after Khan where this Spock seems more apt to, you know, embraces human qualities you know and you know, you see that throughout the rest of nimoy's career as playing spock you know he takes these chances um you know we'll talk about it in six and you know we see him in um next gen taking these chances with the romulans and then you know so it's it's almost like a different kind of spock a more a more emotional spock if you will i don't know if that's apt or not but it just he it feels like a new spock in a weird way I think I think what's so interesting about him, and I honestly don't know to what extent he did his homework and really pondered, you know, where am I? Where am I in the arc of the character? How, you know, in terms of how I'm like in these in the movies, how am I relearning to be me? You know, since the death thing, and then later on, just aging and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, it's like there's almost like no point really. Um, obviously, there's plenty of there's a handful of you know silly original series episodes where it's like doesn't matter much what he's doing or something like that. But you know, on the whole, you pick any point you know the original series, these various feature films, and in, uh, including the much later ones, uh, his appearance in Next Gen, etc., where it, it always feels true. You know, like where he is, he, yeah. he's playing something. It's not just the canned I'm doing Spock. You know, it's Spock at this point in his life with these experiences. And it's unevolved. Yeah, it really it helps everything. It, I mean, it, it really helps everything with Star Trek that he did that. You know, and it just kind of reminds me when you go back to JJ's movie. You know, where he's he's almost more human in JJ's movie than he is Vulcan by that point. And so it's it's really cool to kind of see the evolution of the character. You know, where it started and you know where where it ended in JJ's movies. You know, we're going to talk about Shatner and when we get to Generations, but I think there's an example of that never. Kirk in Generations never seemed like, like I had a hard time imagining that being who Kirk would become or something based on everything else we've seen, you know, so it doesn't feel so true in a way. And I'm talking about the way he plays it, but you're right. There's something, Nimoy, he's just, he's the gift of Star Trek for me. He's, he's so the soul of it always will be because yeah always feels true. And and when we talk about, when I talk about what I love about Star Trek and feeling that it's this real kind of living universe, what adds to that better than this through line of, of Spock always being the right Spock, no matter where you drop him into the, <laughs> the timeline. No, I mean, it's, it's like Nimoy just had this, this understanding and connection in a way that nobody else ever has. 
about Star Trek. But there are some other things I like. This is the first time Jerry Goldsmith has returned to do a Star Trek score since the first film. And I think his score is great. It's so fun to hear that. Well, this was 89. So I remember I remember sitting in a movie theater and, and the movie starts up and that Jerry Goldsmith music starts. And I at the time I thought, wait a minute, that's the next generation music. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I realized... I mean, I clearly didn't realize that it was from the motion picture, but yeah, so that for this point, we'd had a year, an entire season of, or no, two two seasons of Next Gen using that music for its uh, main theme. But I, I, I think the score is great. I love that theme that he get, that he has when they first arrive on Shakari as they're landing and they're walking to God and that whole bit. All that music is so great. There's a wonderful little moment there where the, the camera's kind of, there's a lot of shots of the people on the bridge looking at the view screen as Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Cybok are walking on the planet. There's a moment where the camera's kind of pushing back through those people, and we get to the back, and we see on a view screen that a bird of prey is entering the quadrant or something. And without messing with the music, it's still this this sense of wonder kind of music, but there's just this little hint of the Klingon theme in there without it getting dark or anything. It's so neat. I love that. that that's my favorite that's my favorite moment in the whole movie actually. It's in it's it's almost entirely Jerry Goldsmith. But musical yeah. A musical moment. Yeah. So Jerry Goldsmith is like Nimoy playing Spock. I don't think Jerry Goldsmith could write a bad Star Trek score if he was trying. So it doesn't matter that the movie isn't any good. His score is is, is still fantastic. Um it's one of the highlights of the film. And then the other thing I'll mention is, yes, it doesn't make any sense why they can everybody can see what's going on in reliving these moments from people's past. But that moment on, in the observation lounge, is that what it's called? I don't know if we ever got a name for that room. That moment in the observation lounge when McCoy and Spock share their pain or whatever. I like that scene. I enjoy I I I allow myself to enjoy that scene even if it doesn't make any sense or whatever. Yeah, I I've never understood what Cybok is doing. Is he is he like brainwashing people or something because it doesn't feel right that Sulu or and and Uhura would almost do this traitorous thing. I, I don't know. It doesn't that part never made sense to me still doesn't. But I do I do like that one scene. I, th- I think there's something interesting there. So a uh, question Brad, I am you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Where some of the some of the corridors looked like the Enterprise E, did they use any of the next gen sets on this movie? You mean the D? Yeah, D. Sorry. Well, they often do, but I didn't think those things were similar enough. I kind of thought that too. I thought there was a similarity with certain sets that made me wonder if I don't know when they filmed it, if there was redress of certain things they had available to them or anything. But I, I don't know. I haven't read about it. This, and this was specifically like corridor shots on the Enterprise. You know, it's the the corridors look similar. Like I said, it just I didn't know if they if you guys knew anything. It's not that big a deal. Like a lot of the effects shots, any time they could just reuse a shot they did, and it's the kind of thing you only notice if you've watched other movies recently. But like that open that first shot of the Enterprise, the very first shot of the Enterprise is the shot from the end of Star Trek Four. Hmm. You know the way it's revealed behind the other shit. Rewatching this movie, I'm like, so this movie kind of almost takes place right after four. I mean, you got to think maybe a couple of months. So I, I didn't quite, I didn't quite remember that being that the four and five were that kind of close together in the timeline of things. At least that's the way they kind of made it feel. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's true. I think that's what's how it's supposed to be. The Enterprise being all broke down was kind of, I, I didn't enjoy that. It was kind of hokey. I mean, I guess they were trying to use it for comedy bits, 
but you know, it, it just kind of went over the top. Uh, yeah, it's the like, same kind of thing where it doesn't. The, the log, the, the log, when the log, when the yeah, log, that's what it, I was just it, about it, to it say. Like, it makes apart. some sense to say we threw this ship together so fast because we wanted to present it to these people who saved the planet. And that somehow they did that still without people knowing about it. But okay, they built it so fast that it has all these problems. Why would that? Why would that include the log thing? I mean, that's not that's, that's not part of the ship. You know, that's some other guy made that. That's a different contractor. Yeah, yeah. So it was just too hokey for me. They just went. They they took it too far. Basically, is what how I, what I felt. Well, it did give us the immortal lines. What does God need with a starship? That's true. So there's that. Most of the humor doesn't quite land for me when Sulu. When, when, is it Cybok? Asks him if he's ever done this emergency shuttle landing thing before, and and Sulu turns and says, actually, it's my first attempt. I think that might be the only moment in the movie, movie that made me laugh. <laughs> Speaking of that, the whole the whole shuttle bay thing, it might be okay on paper, but the actual realization, it just makes a room feel oddly small or something. I don't know. I'm not sure that really came off so great. Um, I hate Uhura's dance. It, I think it's cringeworthy. I've always thought that. She's a beautiful woman. I'm not taking away from any of that stuff, but it's just stupid. I think kind of dumb. What did you guys think of them hinting at a relationship between um, Laura and Scotty? Did it- I, I was okay with that. I feel like they didn't do anything else with it, though. I don't recall that coming up in 6, does it? No, I don't believe so. Yeah, they just kind of hinted at it. You know. What's this movie about? Well, what I kind of took from what this movie's about, you were you were talking about the scene. We both talked about that scene, and I'm just going to call it ten, the ten forward for this enterprise. Um, um, where Sabok was taking them back to, to, you know, to reveal their plan, to reveal these characters' pain, and and you know, release them from it. Um, and you know, this kind of it kind of goes back to you know when Kirk was saying, you know, this is this is who we are. This is a, I, I didn't know this, but this is a part of who they are. Um, so I think there's something right in what, um, Kirk was, was trying to, to say there is like, you know, I, that's a part of me. That's a part of my life. You can't take away my pain. You can't take away these things from my life because then that takes away something from me. So I, I don't know how well they did it through this movie. I'm just, I'm just kind of latching onto that. It's like, you know, you, you have to take everybody as, as a whole, um, their, their faults, their good qualities, um, and and what they do with that, all those things, is that that's what makes them the person that they, they are. And I think that's what they were at least trying to say in that scene. I don't know if it comes out throughout the whole movie. Um, you know, some side notes is, you know, um, the camaraderie of, of family, you know, th- at the end of the of the movie, you know, Bones mentions to Kirk, I, I thought you said men like us don't have families. And he was, and that was, to me, that was kind of a good scene. He's like, I, I was wrong. You know, I, you know, I had lost a brother and I got him back. So, there's, you know, even though none of us really like this movie that much, there are, we like it because there are these moments in the movie where you feel the, the heart of the characters and the, connect, the connection to the characters in, in little moments throughout the movie, throughout this movie that they, that they are able to materialize. Yeah, I, I like that moment too. When, when he, his delivery on I Was Wrong, I mean, it seems pretty sincere and uh, like he does love these, love these two people as brothers. I, I, that is a, a pretty nice moment. Uh, sorry, uh, Steve. I agree with those points. I, I wish they would have, uh, like so often is the case with things that aren't the best. They they try to do too many things, you know, or to cover too many topics. I, I like some of these topics. I like that scene that you spoke of. I like the the idea of, you know, the the 
the pain and the hardships are part of who we are too, but they didn't focus enough on any one of those kinds of things. You know, I, um, I also, I mean, I think at the, at the core of it too, is the notion of, um, uh, you know, expectations and being fooled by, you know, one's hopes and stuff, you know, I mean, in a, in a way, Cybok is kind of a, you know, he's kind of the, he's, he's, he just, he's just fooling everybody to get to something that he believes is genuine. Then he gets there and it's, he's fooled himself. You know, it's like, man, I've, you know, it's kind of tragic. Right. Right. I, I, uh, I was wrong to think this was real too. And I've, what have I risked to do it? And, you know, it's, it's almost like that notion of that so many people I think experience where you, you follow something and all of a sudden you realize it's, it's nonsense or something like that. You know, when you ultimately are, have to come to that realization and uh but you know they, they didn't I, I think that's an interesting idea i just don't know that they really do, dealt enough with that as the sole purpose of the movie or a major purpose in the movie to really feel like that's what they really brought home but there are a few themes they kind of kick around that there's there's some interesting ideas well i guess one good thing that came from this movie being bad is that we got star trek six <laughs> you know i'm not sure right. we would have gotten star trek six if this movie had been a little bit better <laughs> we would have gotten another comedy is that what you're trying to say no i mean i think that they i think there was a lot of talk about this being the last movie with the original series cast but it left such a bad taste in everybody's mouth that they made the sixth film in time for the 25th anniversary and they made it very quickly and even cheaper um, and it almost didn't happen many times yeah but, nichols came back for that one right uh, uh nick meyer yeah yeah, nick meyer, yeah. Nick meyer, nick meyer. You're right. I guess his name is Nicholas Meyer, but yeah. All right. Let's do six degrees for Star Trek six. Adam, you going first or second? I'll get out of the way. Go first. Speaking of Star Trek six, David Warner plays St. John Talbot, the Federation representative on Nimbus three. We'll next see him play what character in Star Trek six? He is the chancellor of the Klingon empire. Well, I wanted his name. <laughs> oh man! Well, I can't. I, I can only. I can't get Galron. Chancellor, out of my what? Head. I can't get Galron out of my head. Um, Chancellor. I don't know. Corrick. I don't know. You're so close, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away, Steve. Is it uh, Gorkon? Yep. Steve George Murdoch plays God. He played Admiral Hansen in what two-part Next Gen episode? Hmm. Had that old perverted line, his perverted line that doesn't hold up so well today. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm trying to remember. Um, <laughs> gosh, best of both worlds. Yep. Hmm. <laughs> the line I'm referring to. What is it? Something like they're talking about Shelby after she leaves the room, and he's like, "Just an old man's fantasies." <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my! <laughs> oh my! Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, all right. So good. Star Trek Five in the books. Steve, did you up your? Did you start your CBS All Access subscription back up? Did you watch Lower Decks? I did. I did. I did. I've I've watched the first one. Yes. Obviously, no spoilers, of course, but. It was what you were expected. What you expected? Were you? Did uh, you enjoy less, it? More or less. I I, I did enjoy it. Um, I think my expectations may have been a bit low, and so it being a little above that is not saying much. But uh, that's that's kind of where I am. Yeah. They did announce the showrunner for 
the Nickelodeon animated show Star Trek Prodigy, mm. which really surprised me in a way because I thought that show was way farther along than it must be. <laughs> you know, right? It's like, oh, they're just now doing that. Okay, it's definitely not where I thought it was. Yeah, I'm looking forward to like a maybe maybe in September I'll kick my CBS All Access thing back up and start watching Lower Decks. Anyway, all right. We're going to be back in two weeks to discuss Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Uh, until then, you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. And you can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. Give us five stars. That's how people find us. We super appreciate that. Thank you again for spending an hour with us. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. I passed it.